Hello, everyone, and welcome to the premiere Last of Us Recap and Review Podcast. Fungus! 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 I am, of course, your host, Patrick Ramirez, and joining me today is John. Thank you so much for having me today, Patrick. Also joining me is the great and powerful Jesse Wynn. Oh, yeah, Patrick. So nice to be here with you today, brother. Today we will be discussing episode 9 of the hit HBO show, The Last of Us, titled Look for the Light. Indeed we will, Patrick. So, before we get into it, let's just uh, say it's been a good run. I've had a lot of fun doing the show. I'm sad that we're at the end of it, but hopefully we have more stuff planned that we can get into in the future. And I just wanted to take a moment to reflect and say I appreciate you guys. I appreciate our listeners. And all around, I love doing this show. I love doing it for you guys and with you guys. Aww. I was going to make a joke about being, like, spiritually rock hard, and then you said all those sweet things, and now I just am a puddle. <laughs> I am I love doing this show, too. This show, okay, watching this show has been great, but doing this show is the highlight of my week. And, man, we got to figure out something to do after this. We definitely will, and for the listeners also, we do have a season recap uh, episode that we will be doing next week, so you have at least that to look forward to, and from there, we'll just see where the wind takes us, you know? Yeah, and I would like to let everyone know, hot update, I texted my roommate to apologize for the intro, and she said she didn't even really notice, so maybe I could be louder during the podcast. That's something that I... Even (laughs) louder. I never even considered that as a possibility, and now I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I appreciate you doing the intro, Patrick. That was really nice of you to offer This is the real Patrick. That was a fake Patrick earlier. How dare dare you think you could fool the Patrick fans of the world? This is the real Patrick. They know the difference between a fake and a fraud and the real Patrick, brother. That, That was Pirate Patrick. But also, Patrick's not here with us this week. John actually has AI'd all the parts for Patrick for this whole episode. And so, it's going to be a real treat for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that is. But Patrick will be back for the true. next episode. So, He'll don't be back, worry. Brothers, don't worry. This is actually still a real Patrick. Oh, man. <laughs> I might have put some Macho Man uh, sound bites into the AI when I was training Ooh, it to be Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> I 100% was about to say that. You definitely did. That's, <laughs> my, st- that's my standard catchphrase as Patrick. I got some streams crossed when I was doing the uh, the AI clone. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize the pirate uh, at the beginning of the SpongeBob intro was also Macho Man Randy Savage until today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess we can get into the episode if you guys are down. Yar. I'm down. So we open up in some uh, very spooky woods where a pregnant woman who I thought was Brave Maeve from the boys at first, but definitely isn't, Mm-mm. is getting chased and she runs past a skyline that I thought might be Denver, but turns out it's probably Boston and turns out it's Ellie's mom. We are seeing how Ellie was born. So that was pretty cool and unexpected. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. How did you guys feel about that? Yeah, that was surprising to me. I've never... uh, Awesome. Sorry, Patrick. Oh, no, go ahead. 
I was just going to comment on John's tone of voice when he talked about that. I've never heard anybody <laughs> sound more jovial and Ned Flandersy talking about birth. That was pretty neat. That's pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, John. It was pretty neat. Um, you know, what else I wanted to say, too, is this is kind of like a triple D throwback because there was a graphic birthing scene. <laughs> Dude, that was I the sw- first episode, wasn't it? Well, there was like one of the last episodes. Remember when she pa- like fucking baseball glove palmed her baby? Oh, yeah. Out yeah of not her the first episode. Yeah, machine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was at least three graphic birthing scenes in uh, House of the Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> That's when she had to go up the stairs right afterwards. Yeah, yeah that was brutal. You can oh. see the queen, right? Well, there was that one, and then there was the one where it was a stillbirth, and then there was the one where it was a uh, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Damon's wife giving. Everybody, birth. I'm so sorry we're talking about Game of Thrones right now. <laughs> but I'm not sorry. I will never <laughs> Amazingly, apologize. Amazingly, this is a less violent birth <laughs> than <laughs> any of the House of the Dragon ones. This is a super absolute coincidence, but when the episode started and the HBO thing went on and it was like, in my brain, I heard the fucking House of the Dragon intro play for a second. (laughs) And I was like mad that it happened. But no, that lady uh, is nerd lady number six in everything you've ever watched ever. Um, If you look her up. She's infamous for not only the thing y'all know her for that I'm not going to say yet, but also she's at the end of Avengers and in like D&D shit. And she's just kind of in everything. And I didn't know that that's Ellie from the game. Tell me, Ashley Johnson? I guess. <laughs> I, that, yes, yes, yes. A hundred percent. Sorry. Like okay. I said, to me, she's the lady from the end of Avengers. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but yeah you were saying she's Ellie from the game, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't cool. even know. Oh, and she's in Vox Machina. That's what I was thinking of. I do think it's pretty cool that they're giving all these voice actors like screen acting gigs because we all know voice actors are criminally underpaid. So hopefully mm-hmm. they're getting a good paycheck off this stuff. Hopefully getting a good union right here on this. Yeah, <laughs> it was awesome to see her. Like that was so surprising to see. Um, not only see this whole beginning bit with Ellie being birthed and her seeing her mother for the first time, because in the game you never see this part, and just getting this uh, interaction with her mom and 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 uh, it's not Merle, uh, what's her name? Marlene. Marlene, Marlene God. Marlene. <laughs> Walking Dead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, with Marlene there, and um, I I think this really sets up a dichotomy that is shown. That you can you can kind of look back on later with Marlene being there for Ellie's birth, basically, you know, like she's kind of Ellie's surrogate mother from the beginning, and that was really cool to see, and it kind of makes me think of all the interactions that Marlene and Ellie have had before in a different light, and then contrast that with Joel and Ellie's relationship this whole time. Yeah, I and I guess we're to infer that probably Marlene got her to safety and then dropped her off at a Fedra facility. I'm guessing she just wanted to make sure she would be safe, that she would be raised safely and securely. Um, she probably knew that like firefly lifestyle was not going to be conducive to a baby. So she just wanted to make sure Ellie would be, you know, safe until she was like developed enough to do whatever mm-hmm. thing. Yo, going to push back on that right now for a second. Uh, because I was 
I would like to bring this up later, so I'll I'll just seed this now, but I wonder how altruistic I think I use the word altruistic wrong sometimes. I wonder how selfless uh and and for the betterment of Ellie her decisions have been. Um about Marlene? Maybe yes. maybe she passed her off to Fedra because it was a reminder of her friend who died or something. Yeah, I honestly I was I'm 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 I wonder I really with some of the actions that I've seen her character go through and even with the with the, the meeting with the mother at the beginning she she her first instinct was not to take the baby and help and yeah. she did because her friend really pulled her heartstrings with the with her d- death breath but it wasn't her gut instinct to go along with that. And I, and I want to think mean, about that more when we dissect her character. I mean, yeah. I would, s- Oh, go ahead, John. No, I was just agreeing. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I think her initial hesitation to take the baby was because she had assumed that the, like, that's because Ellie's mom lies to her, right. And says that she cut the cord, the umbilical cord after she was bit before, or before. no, before she was bit. Sorry. Um, but we know that's not true, right? Because yeah. she was attacked before she cut it. And yes. Marlene just doesn't know that. And so I think Marlene's initial hesitation to take the baby is just assuming that, like, this baby's infected also. I'm going to have to, you know, it's going to die. And okay. I'm going to ha- I'm already going to have to kill my best friend that I've had since I was a child, right? Because they're childhood best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that's where that came from. And also... I don't know if it, it's probably way less scary to kill a cordyceps infected baby than it is a cordyceps infected like adult that's like way stronger, right? I mean, we're saying like the, though, the crazy like, like contortionist kid. Oh yeah, yeah, the heart, yeah, definitely is like way hard. But I thought that's where her initial hesitation from not 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 to not wanting to help a friend. Um, I can definitely see that. Um, I also wanted to say that I just put something together in my head, which is that. She also didn't know that Ellie was immune to the cordyceps until Mm -hmm. later, probably when she showed up after Riley or whatever was dead. Ellie probably showed up to the Fireflies having been bitten and not infected. And that's Mm -hmm. when Marlene actually realized that she was immune. So yeah, that that couldn't have factored into her decision to drop her off with Fedra in the beginning at all. I thought the Fedra thing was like that. That's just her best chance to have a quote unquote, uh, normal, most, most, yeah, most normal upbringing versus bringing up with the fireflies where she could be killed at any moment from Fedra and stuff like that. This is helping me build a picture that I want to continue to build with y'all on. um, I, some of the, the, the difficult decisions that she has to make through this whole season. Um, I see her as, someone that puts the numbers over their like heart in Mm -hmm. general and, or maybe what's more like, like ah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm developing this as I discuss it. Cause there's something about her that I'm, I want to build up to, to compare with Joel later, but it's, I, sorry, this is, it's, it's interesting. Patrick made me change how I was thinking about this. Uh, yeah, brother. Oh yeah. But oh, she's, yeah. there's just some part of her mind that is more Spock like almost. And I want, and that can maybe be interpreted as more heartless in ways or like, I don't know. 
I'll I'll move on. I'll come back to this later. No, I think I think you're right. I think she's had to make a lot of hard choices, kind of like Joel has this whole time, right? And this is just one more in the litany of the ones that she's made, but it just happens to be related to her best friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say about this scene is, um, I was just curious what you guys thought when she's when um, Ellie's mom is asking Marlene to kill her. Marlene says that she can't do it. Was she just saying that because they were friends and she didn't want to do it? Or was there something else going on there? I mean, I thought it was just because they're best friends and you don't want to kill your best friend, usually. Yeah. I wonder... This could feed into... Maybe that's one of the early moments where she has to realize that like being logical and efficient with things overtakes like the burdens of the heart. Yeah. Because... She doesn't want to do that, but it is like the right thing to do. Like one less zombie out in the world is the right thing to do always like turning someone like because that, 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 that the spread is exponential. Um, yeah, but I, I also just liked that we actually know why Ellie is immune. That part is, is cool to me. Just like mm-hmm. the mechanics of like, Oh, so like, a small enough amount of the cordyceps were able to get through the umbilical cord that she was infected without being infected basically from the time she was born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Introduced like early enough and naturally enough that it started to have a like positive symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And like, there's some basis for that in reality too, because I know that there's like cases of like, if a mom in real life is vaccinated against or inoculated against certain like diseases and stuff mm-hmm. Then sometimes their baby will be born with those same immunities for sure. So yeah, you, it, you, it makes sense. in kind of like a sci-fi fantasy way. Absolutely. Uh, I, I guess I, I honestly, I focused a little bit too much on Marlene for this scene, but can you imagine like I'm watching, uh, Aunt, is it Anna or Anna, the mom? I would think it's Anna, but I, don't know. So uh, she's like sitting with their baby, like having known that she was had been bit. Uh, can you imagine like holding your child, knowing you won't be around to hold them in twenty four hours? Like, and I Mm-mm. guess she has faith her friends are going to show up, but if they don't, you like you're like holding your baby, going like, "There's a chance I might eat this baby." <laughs> It is yeah. a little weird, like the whole timeline with like why was she running away pregnant like that, and like why are the fireflies right behind her kind of thing. That's kind of doesn't make sense to me. I mean, we don't have the context, so I guess we don't yeah. really know how much it makes sense or doesn't. You know, <laughs> I think I think the whole point of this intro is just to show something cool without really explaining it very clearly. Like, let's see Ellie's mom show how Ellie got immune to cordyceps and then show the relationship to Marlene. And yeah. then that's it. Not I really think there's enough context. Cause like the people show yeah. up and go like, Oh dude, we're sorry. We were late. The mm. plot demands it. Jesse, the plot <laughs> requires that they show up. They don't know. They don't. None of that was required. But if as much as to just paint the picture for like, cause you said the only important context of this is how Ellie gets like, gets her immunity. But yeah, uh, that's their safe house. There was any, the only thing we don't know is there's a reason she had to leave the house and then something bad happened and she had to come back being chased by a zombie. But yeah, 
I don't know if she would needed food or whatever, but she had to leave for some reason, and that went fucking south. Yeah, it, yeah. I think it's just one of those things that's probably better to not think about too much. <laughs> you yeah, know, for sure. <laughs> um, all right. So if we are finished talking about that extremely emotional scene, we can move on to the next extremely emotional scene. We <laughs> flash forward to Ellie and Joel. Um, Joel is trying to be nice and friendly, but Ellie has a little bit too much PTSD, I guess, to reciprocate uh, reciprocate that. And uh, things are a little awkward, but you can tell that Joel is trying. And like we mentioned in the last episode, like the, the walls are down. He is officially uh, taking the role of father figure, and it's uh, it's very sweet. Yeah, it's it was sweet. It's also um it's a lot coming from who he was even like a week ago. It to me felt like he was acting different like in an almost an awkward way. But uh he probably was trying to like fill the space that she was leaving with her silence though, I guess, you know. So uh and yeah, I was wondering if this was her P- PTSD or also or if how much of this is her a mixture of her realizing like her and Joel are likely coming to an end. And if not like this, they're they're about to reach us a space where her whole life is going to change and she has no idea what to expect. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to know, right? Like she doesn't know that the fireflies plan on killing her. Um, she just knows what she's been through up till this point. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just like the natural sadness that you feel when something is about to come to an end, when, you know, tectonic shifts and large changes are about to take place and you're not necessarily like ready for it emotionally. But there's also like the fact that she was going to be eaten or raped like recently, which is enough on its own to make someone very uh, sad and traumatized. No, you're right. Honestly, I think me as the audience, I was maybe hyper-focused on the end of this episode, but you're right. If I would have watched it immediately after the last one, that probably is much more apparent. Yeah. I think um, the uh, Do You Want to Learn Guitar was pretty was one of the things that made me think about like her 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 response to that is like I don't know what tomorrow brings or holds or if I'm not like if we're going to be together, I don't want to really commit to learning guitar from you. This is very sweet, but like, I don't know. Yeah. And that's almost like kind of like a role reversal thing too. Right. Where it's like, Joel is trying to pretend that everything can be normal and she knows that it's probably not going to be normal. So she's kind of humoring him, but not like, not really like effectively doing that. Cause mm-hmm. he can obviously tell that something's wrong but she's trying to play along, I guess, as best she can, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were just trying to be kind of the father figure, and, like, when you know someone is really upset about something, and there's nothing you can do except trying to pretend... It's not like... I I don't know. There's a fine line between trying to help someone by not talking about whatever it is that's bothering them, but also trying to pretend like stuff is normal when you know it's not normal. So I thought there was a lot of that going on. Like yeah. Joel, Joel, the chatterbox that we've never seen the entire show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to just like, uh, you know, just kind of 
not directly comfort Ellie, but just take her mind off what he knows is the issue because she just had to murder a pedophile cannibal guy, you know, yesterday yeah. or whatever the day it was, you know. Yeah. yeah, it was like I was uh absolutely devastated just that through that entire sequence, to be honest, like, man, it was just it was beautiful, but also just so hard to watch. It was like awkward in a way, you know. I mean, I, I've been in that situation, like trying to talk to somebody like that, and it's, and I've been on the other side too, where someone's trying to calm me down. So it's just there's no, I think that's awkward by design, and it's just so uncomfortable, and everyone knows why. And I thought it was cool that they, I don't know if "cool" is the right word, but interesting that they put it in there. <clears throat> You're right. Honestly, I need to watch this episode like a me- like I'm gonna watch the last two back to back. Because I was so focused on like getting where they're going oh, that yeah. and I was like, they're as focused on that as I am. And like yeah. in reality, they super wouldn't be. Like where yeah. they're going in after what happened in the last episode is actually less important at the moment. And I just kind of fucking forgot about it almost. Yeah. Yeah. At least clearly despondent, like that whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess we can move on. Oh, something else. Nope. I was about to just nope. Doing what you're doing. Uh, yeah, we can talk about them heading in. They're doing the classic Joel and Ellie move. We're gonna go to the top of this building to get the lay of the land. So they do a uh, a classic video game uh, push this button at this time sequence where Ellie has to drop a ladder down to Joel. Um, she does it, but she sees something very interesting to her and races ahead. And Joel is sort of desperately following after her, uh, clearly frustrated with her <laughs> uh, doing that, but trying to keep his cool. And what they find is a herd of giraffes. I, I like the multiverse where Ellie drops the ladder and it just knocks him out. <laughs> she just goes back to find him on the ground later yeah his neck's just broken he's just like dead on the ground <laughs> that's a next level yeah no just kill him yeah deal with that now i guess those were uh, uh real giraffes so that's cool that was cool i liked that i liked that they use real giraffes in that uh, I'm glad you said that because my note here that says, I think the giraffes were CG and I wish they would have used real giraffes is <laughs> really paying off. Jesse, Jesse's complaint is writing a letter to Neil Druckmann. <laughs> Done with this. Um, have you guys ever fed a giraffe in real life? I've never been 40 feet high, John, where I could feed a giraffe. No, I haven't gone to that one zoo, John, but I've, I've always giraffes. wanted to. Yeah, there's a uh, zoo at Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado where uh, you can actually do this. There's like a big wooden platform you can go stand on and you can buy like a head of lettuce for $2 and feed it to the giraffes. Yep. I, uh, I'd like to bring up that I saw a funny thing yesterday that said, how on the fuck are unicorns not real? They're literally just a horse with a horn on its head, but giraffes exist. They're like a zebra <laughs> horse, <laughs> like the crazy looking leopard animal with a f- like 30 foot neck or whatever. I don't know how long it is. They For sure. Like long ass legs and a long ass neck <laughs> with like ridiculous skulls. Like, yeah. How does this exist in the unicorn stone? I was like thinking too. I was like, what if Ellie didn't even learn about giraffes? 
Because I could, I could imagine that at federal, at federal, at Fedra school, they wouldn't teach you about animals that probably don't exist on this continent anymore, uh, just because it doesn't seem like relevant to the curriculum. So she's just like seeing this like huge horse, and she's like, "What the fuck is this thing?" <laughs> I feel like they have they're not making they're not printing new school material, right? So they're just using whatever existed right before. I guess it was like what twenty years ago, whatever twenty three years ago. Yeah. So like they're yeah. just using like recycling that shit and just going off that. Yeah, so I could I see like that being set. a thing too, where you see it in a children's book when you're little, and when you're little in that world, you're you don't know what's real or what's fake because it's like, oh, there's blue hippopotamuses in this, and this like giraffe with the crazy long neck, and all of this. Like, how are you supposed to know what's real or what's fake? Yeah, yeah, it would be crazy to see a giraffe without the context <laughs> be like what also their tongues are fucked up i don't like to look yeah at they're them. like <laughs> super uh like uh pointy and stuff right like the hairs or the they got like spines on it or something right don't they yeah i think they're like barbed and they're also like purple and weird looking and yeah. like they like wrap around the leaves in like a creepy way it's just it's it's right. so horrible to look at <laughs> to be honest <laughs> I, I was too distracted by how CG that giraffe looked, so I didn't really <laughs> notice how creepy the tongue was. Maybe they uh, did an AI clone of the giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they deepfaked that giraffe. They <laughs> For didn't want to sure. pay him. <laughs> yeah, that giraffe is not getting union rates, unfortunately. Not at all. <laughs> uh, but pretty- so it was it was beautiful. Patrick, go. Oh, I, I was, was just going to say it, it was a sweet moment. No, that's what I was going to say. I thought Patrick <laughs> had something in the chamber. You got anything, Patrick? <laughs> Please delete this, but I did fart right before you said that. So. <laughs> I will not be deleting that. That's awesome. Oh, never. So there was something oh. in the chamber, but it got fired. <laughs> and I was looking at the, I was looking at the, the wave spectrum would be like, it, there's no way I picked it up, right? And I was like, oh. I hope it's on there. Better write this down. (laughs) I'm going to make another dubstep in one of these episodes now. Uh, (laughs) Oh, God. Um, So, yeah, the draft scene. Uh, Getting to see Ellie being a kid again for a brief moment was so heartwarming. And then getting to watch Joel appreciating her having that moment. That scene was everything. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was nice to have that right before the scene that follows where they're having this like very adult conversation where Joel is basically saying like, you know, it's just important to me that you know that we don't have to do this. Like if you if we can just go back to Jackson, Wyoming, we can do like whatever we want. We don't have to come here. Yeah, yeah, and Ellie has a very adult, very mature take on the situation which in any other situation might be like unbelievable or unrealistic, but with everything that she's gone through, I think it is believable where she's like, like, listen, like we, everything that we've gone through was to do this thing. Like if we don't follow through with it, then like, what was the point of all of this? You know? Yeah. She says we finished what we started. Yeah. And she's grown up. She's grown up. Yeah, this it's also this seventeen year old girl is essentially thirty five years old <laughs> in emotional years. Oh, dude! Um, I th- I swear I looked it up last week, and she's fourteen. 
during filming or or you mean the character the character i think oh, the character's wow. 14 and then she's like 18 or 19 in the next game interesting but she did go through a, a uh, horrible adult crash course in the last uh, few months with joel so that that's uh super aged her yeah for sure she and emotionally right, like the presidency I, yeah. I feel vindicated because that's how old I thought she was. And I feel like you guys convinced me in an earlier episode that she was older. Uh, if, I think oh. if we watch like episode one and two Ellie versus now, it's like worlds apart, which is like credit to Bella Ramsey's acting like nailed it. Oh, yeah. Oh, really for sure. knocked it out of the park with this. Yeah, they were doing some real good acting in this uh, this episode for sure. Like, um. I think it, it it might be that thing, not to like you know lessen their accomplishments, but I I think that she probably learned a lot from acting across from Pedro Pascal, you know, and just like developed as an actor. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that was I, a. I uh, the, oh, go ahead. No, I have a weird hot take, but um, I I think some of that some of the acting was just okay. And I was surprised. Jesse's off the podcast. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Replacing you with AI Jesse. <laughs> I, I, I agree that some of it was just okay, but I think there were also moments that were very, very good. Agreed. And Agreed. they're also still young. Like, by the time they are Pedro's age, they might be fucking putting on master classes and stuff, you know? Yeah, I meant both of them. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, I mean, Jesse's there was just generally now. some okay acting in parts of this episode where I was surprised because I was like, dude, when you were laying on the bed, just like rigor mortis, I was like 10 out of 10. And I was watching him deliver a couple of these lines on like looking off into the distance in this episode. And I was like, okay, you're good. Yeah, I, I think maybe part of that is that uh, Joel, the character in the hit show Last of Us, was also acting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's that's actually that might be a thing yeah for sure um so now we get to uh, some suicide talk yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i wanted to bring up a line in regards to that whole thing because you know joel is basically leveling with ellie about the fact that he tried to kill himself and failed and at one point she says well i guess time heals all wounds and he says it wasn't time that did it. And then he looks longingly into her eyes. And that to me was an example of, uh, more than okay acting on both of their parts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 Both the delivery of those lines and then like the awkward kind of recovery from it where they're like, okay, well anyway, let's get going. You know? Yeah. She was like, uh, we should, we should get going. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is totally realistic. Right. It's like, no matter how, how real the moment is there's always that like hangover from it where you're like okay well now we still have to function as human beings so let's just uh keep going now (laughs) yeah yeah that was uh quite a scene for sure yeah when he when he said at the when he was like i was the person who missed the first time i was like what does that even mean i did not know he was talking about suicide (laughs) yeah me too Okay. I mean, good. I, I, I was I was thinking about that earlier when um, when they bring it up the scar, you know, the yeah. I don't remember what episode it was, but the earlier one, and thinking like, man, you know, like he's lost everything. Like, why? I really am surprised he didn't try and do this. And then to hear him talk about it now, you're like, oh, well, he did try. Yeah, Couldn't and I guess another like little Easter egg too is 
maybe that's why he doesn't have hearing in his ear. Like, maybe it's not just from shooting guns the regular right. way. It's from firing one directly next to his face. Yeah. Didn't even think about that. Um, all right. So, unfortunately, the fireflies throw a fucking flashbang at them, which they apparently have. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, they capture Joel and Ellie and take them back to their base, which is an abandoned hospital. Convenient. <laughs> what, Patrick? It's in use, though. They like doing stuff there. Oh, yeah. To- exactly. Yes. Yeah. Formerly abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. We were saying the, the same thing. in this abandoned hospital. Whoa. <laughs> Patrick, um, actually, it's not abandoned because they're a firefly operation. Actually, operations there's dude. a... <laughs> this, the, the surgeon never went home. He's He's been looking for his paycheck the entire time. <laughs> yes, I, I would like to think that they showed up there after, like, in the middle of the apocalypse, and that guy has just been hiding there since, like, day three. Oh, my God. It's oh, so this, slow here. This hospital comes <laughs> with a medic. Finally, I get to take my full lunch and break. It's he was, awesome. He was, <laughs> he was in storage. He's <laughs> like, uh, took a dust sheet off of him and, hey, you're ready to go? Ah, I've been waiting for you. Yeah. Um, actually, this is related to something that I, I watched a movie recently called The Sadness. It is a uh, Taiwanese film. Um, I highly recommend it, but only if you have a high tolerance for uh graphic things uh like you know mutilation and other weird things that happen in horror movies but it's it's a great movie and and in that movie there's a similar thing where a zombie apocalypse happens and there's like one doctor who just randomly decides he's going to keep doing his job huh. go he's a real go him. he's a real mvp yeah <laughs> thank you took the words right out of my mouth yeah that's uh <laughs> uh, if you watch the movie, that would take on a whole other meaning. But yeah. <laughs> oh oh no. no. <laughs> um. Yeah. So Joel wakes up and he immediately is asking about like where Ellie is, and Marlene kind of cryptically tells him that yeah, she's not going to wake up from this surgery because they basically want to take the cordyceps out of her brain. And use them to inoculate everybody else. Yep. I I missed my cue for one thing. After the flashbang and before this, it fades to white. And I was like, damn, we've been faded to white for fucking ever. Strong (laughs) choice, man. Like, I always... I feel like people are cowards because they don't let things linger long enough. Or they don't give things, like, time to breathe. And this was the first time ever where I was like, this is like a real, I was like building anticipation and I was like, when is this going to, I timed it. <laughs> it was seven seconds of pure white before it cuts to <laughs> curtains and then yeah. it's still curtains for a second, but you know, seven <laughs> seconds is a long time. You know, I, I didn't pick up on that, Jesse, I guess it didn't bother me as much, but like, I see your point because it's not like there's really any suspense in that moment. Like we don't think that Joel is dead. Like, right. We're not no thinking oh, that. I'm not so criticizing like, it. I love it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, so I like it as a reset as the audience because they get flashbanged. It's very disorienting. He gets knocked the fuck out. A fade to black is a whole other like metaphor. So we fade to white. And we're we we're in the sh- Joel's shoes, and and the whole time it's fade to white. I'm 
anxious. I don't think he's that's a fade to white is not dead. But the fade to white was like a loss of control and of like and it felt like everything's resetting and it, I it was I liked it. I liked how long it was. I want to make it 15 seconds. I don't fucking <laughs> care, dude. <laughs> I thought it was just white because that's what a flashbang does, right? Isn't it just like phosphorus white light and super loud? Yeah, yeah. We're talking about a thing called symbolism, Patrick. It's when something is like meant to be, uh, you know, interpreted like not literally, but, you know, metaphorically. I need Uh, one minute. Sorry. Go for it. You know what, everybody? Let's go ahead and take a quick break. Patrick's wife just came in and yelled at him. Did that actually happen? Everything okay, Patrick? As she didn't know I was recording it. So she's like, you know, the oven's like been preheated for like 10 minutes or like 30 minutes, right? And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> awesome. I forgot to put the pizza in. I was just like, John, she came in and yelled at him about something. And there were just stern hand movements. Like, look at this door. Look at you. Look at this door. Look at you. <laughs> And we're back. We're back. Um. So we are in the hospital room where Joel woke up and him and Marlene are having a bit of a uh, discourse about Ellie. And the thing that I wanted to zero in on this scene is when he very exasperatedly says, uh, you don't understand. And she makes the point, well, actually, I do understand, referencing the scene that we saw in the beginning of the episode. Um, But I think the subtext of this is that, uh, no, you actually still don't understand because we know Joel's past and we know that it isn't just I care about this person. It is the subtext of this is my new daughter to replace the one that died, (laughs) which Marlene probably doesn't know about and also probably hasn't also experienced. Mm-hmm. And I liked that it didn't like that it didn't go remarked upon, right? Like it wasn't like Joel was like, "Well, actually, what I meant by that was blah 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 blah." Like that that would have ruined the scene, right? I guess in, in my opinion, at least. Um, I just thought it was a nice, like, uh, not nice. It was an interesting conversation and an interesting subtext, and also I think um, another example of just grade A acting by Pedro Pascal. Yeah, um, I think. You're picking up like that. That scene has two wavelengths and it's the like the obvious. Well, I guess it's not obvious to those characters. He he says that because he's like, you don't understand. Like, I care about her now. And he has no idea Marlene's past with mm-hmm. her. So when Marlene's like, yeah, I'm the only other person who does get it. She means like, yeah, I also care about Ellie. But then, as you remarked, neither one of them understand the depth that the other person like cares for Ellie uh, or how or what they've been through together. Uh, But Marlene does immediately pick up on he cares about her now. And that's a problem. And I need him out of here on the highway with two armed guards escorting him. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. And like, I, I said this to Chloe while we were watching it and like, Oh, I guess for listeners, that's my fiance probably could have picked that up in context clues, but (laughs) I I said this to her while we were watching it, but like 
Marlene fucked up so bad by not just killing him. Like, she knows how dangerous this guy is. So the fact that she was like, yeah, just take him to the highway and, like, drop him off and, like, let him go. The fact that she thought that would work, that there was even the smallest chance that would work is, like, a huge misjudgment on her part, in my opinion. Joel does not go quietly into that night right like not at all no and there's no universe in which he does (laughs) i kind of wanted to pick up a thread that jesse was talking about um about marlene and joel's relationships with ellie and i mean this season really focuses on maybe like what like three or four months maybe or maybe somewhere maybe five months i don't know with joel and ellie on a day on a daily basis hanging out or i don't know if hanging out is the right word but being together (laughs) You know, hanging um, out. I mean, and in ostensibly, a loose sense, they were hanging out. <laughs> yeah, and like they've never been as close as the last few days of this journey, right? Which right. culminates in what's about to happen. But um, Marlene has known Ellie for since the the past fourteen years, right? And we don't know like if she's kept Elliot this kind of emotional distance that it appears to be, right? Because you don't get the sense from seeing her and Ellie, you don't get it from Ellie either that Marlene is any type of mother figure, right? It's just kind of like someone who's maybe guarding her from a distance and making sure that she's okay because she made a promise to Ellie's mom, but she doesn't want to cross the bridge that Joel has crossed and become emotionally attached and have this, you know, like a surrogate daughter in Ellie. Yeah. I I was, maybe I, I picked up on this incorrectly, but it seemed like to me, Ellie didn't realize that they had any connection yeah. Um, until there was that one line where, where she was like, blah, 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 Fedra camp. And she was like, yeah, I know I put you there. And then I thought that was the first time Ellie was like, you know me or anything about me or we have any relationship whatsoever. Yeah. You no. Know, oh, go ahead. No, nope, I was just agreeing. Sorry. <laughs> I just put this together in my head, but you know who Marlene and Ellie remind me of? It's Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker. Obi-Wan is protecting Luke from a distance, making sure that his dad doesn't find him. Totally. Protecting him. But like that's kind of Marlene's role in this. And that's our that's the dynamic I'm getting, right? Yeah. Patrick, look at you. <sighs> Man. You yeah. little Star Wars nerd. Oh yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Oh man. Um I I don't I don't want to give her that much credit though. She's not an act an Obi-Wan. I maybe she is. Spoilers, I'm a little bit more sympathetic to Marlene at the end of this episode, but um, yeah, I mean, I was during this whole sequence where they're walking Joel out of the hospital. I'm just like, these people are fucked. (laughs) They are so fucked. Like he keeps stopping and he keeps kind of just like needling and slowing down and you can just tell, you can just see the expression on his face. Like he is just waiting for his chance, you know, mm-hmm. to, to make his move. And, and we didn't even really talk about it, but the reason I think he's so upset is like, doesn't Marlene tell him that the cordyceps is in the brain. I think we talked about it earlier, but like the explanation Marlene gives him is that the cordyceps is in the brain. She kind of goes over it. There's like cordyceps messenger chemicals or something that talk to whatever in the body and with all, all that. But like, Ellie's cordyceps infection that they want to study is in her brain and it's like metastasized or something. So I think what, what we can read into it is that they're not going to be able to study this without Ellie dying. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what is set Joel off. Yeah. 
precisely or set the sticking time bomb. I, I, yeah, I, I think in particular, also it's the combination of giving Ellie no agency in the situation, and then also not letting him say goodbye. And I think that's a huge thing I want to dissect when we get into the mm-hmm. is Same. Marlene or is Joel right thing. But I, I. I think if if they were like, well, we, we talked to Ellie, and Ellie said this is what she wanted to do. Exactly. Um, like, maybe that would have gone over better. And maybe if he got to say goodbye to her. Like, I'm not sure if he's and I'm, I'm, is hypothetical. Because honestly, I don't know if Joel, as this character is laid in front of us, has it in him to say goodbye to Ellie, actually. Because yeah. we don't know if they told Ellie... No, they said oh, they, said they, they didn't. We, yeah. They said they didn't. They did. They did say that. Oh, yeah. Okay. They were like, I mean, she's not. It's not going to be stressed. Like we didn't say any. And I was like, oh, okay. Is it going to spoil the meat? Like, why? What was your thought process? On that? <laughs> they they try to sell it as a good thing, and by they, I specifically mean Marlene. She tries to sell it as a good thing, trying to say like, oh, she's not scared. Like she's going to go under, thinking that she's going to yeah. wake up unharmed, so she's going to go peacefully. And she's trying to sell that as a good thing, but like to me, that is that makes it worse because yep. you know if she had agreed to it, then yeah, she would be scared and she would know that she was about to die. But mm-hmm. at least it would be like her choice, right? Yeah, right, exactly. And I, I, it would be devastating for Joel to go through that. But I think it, if they gave if Marlene, I keep saying they, I, I specifically mean Marlene. If she had let Joel and Ellie sit down in a room and told them what was going on and Ellie said, like, Joel, this is, like, what I feel like my purpose is. This is what I want to do. I think Mm -hmm. as hard as it would have been for him, I think he would probably have no choice but to accept that, right? I mean. Yeah. 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 That's that's what would change the tide of this, of what's about to happen, the sequence of events. Because they didn't offer Ellie... They didn't tell Ellie what the risks were and what was going to happen. And they didn't sit Joel and Ellie down. Like, why would you not sit Joel and Ellie down and say, like, these are the risks and what's what's possible and what's likely to happen, right? Yeah. So they shoot themselves in the head <laughs> figuratively <laughs> before Joel does it for them. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. Yeah. yeah, I think, like, a lot of this is a very large miscalculation on Marlene's part, to be honest. Not, like, in an yeah. unbelievable way. Um, I, I think she... She probably had her doubts that Joel would react in it. a good way. Um, and maybe that's why she did what she did. But, I mean, like I said, she should have known that he wasn't going to take this shit laying down. Yeah, I wonder. Because there's also the world where she thinks this is a job still. And she doesn't know that uh, what's-her-face died. Don't even remember her anymore. Um, Who, Tess? Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't know Tess died. Like I feel like they probably—I don't know. This is kind of a while ago. Maybe they figured it out. I don't. There's not internet. I don't know. Nobody tweeted about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like maybe she heard the all, '80s song. There's a chance where she's like, "Cool, we need to make this vaccine or whatever." You've been knocked out forever now. Like, but well, they don't. She's not. Wouldn't have any reason to think that he had become. They've grown a paternal relationship. Like. If that's still a job, he would wake up and be like, oh, okay, whatever. Pay me. Where's my battery and truck and whatever? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's also, like, this is all for a 
chance at some kind of treatment or vaccine, right? There's nothing guaranteed here. They're willing to cut open Ellie's brain and study it for maybe no gain or maybe a very little gain. Like science is all incremental and development of all the shit that medicine and vaccines and shit is not like a one and done type of thing. Like it takes years and it's lots of little steps. So this is maybe one step toward that. And I feel like that plays into Joel's calculations also. Besides, maybe he's just blinded by emotional, you know, rage and love at the same time or during this time. And maybe he's not even thinking about like, they don't even know that this could do anything, right? They're just thinking it could, but they don't actually know. I know you're right. You're right. Uh, to be honest, I don't even know if that um, played into his calculation at all. Yeah. Um, he's just seeing red at this time. Do you guys? I, I think. Do you guys want to like? A, oh, sorry. No, I think it's a, there's a, it's an interesting like tiering system of being a like overwhelmed, and so it's like he cares about her at like the core of this. And they just keep adding like triggers on top of it to like worsen every step of the way. Cause she does say like, he thinks that he could make a vaccine out of it. Mm -hmm. And if you, you keep hearing all these tiny things up until it's like, and we didn't tell her about it and you don't get to say goodbye. And it's like so many transgression after transgression after like, I, I, I could they, whether he's like conscious of it or not. I see all that working him up to a point where he is like not in control anymore. I wish they would have honestly beaten that a little bit harder. Like that would make if he's aware of the fact that there's no guarantee that this is gonna make a cure or lead to something. I think that makes his decision all the more like relatable or at least like understandable because. That's really fucking important. Like whether you're like, we can do this or we might be able to do this. Maybe. I, I like what you're saying, Jesse. And this also, again, not knowing anything about the game because I haven't played it. This does feel like an example of maybe a place where a game had, could have potential, whether it did or not. I don't know to do this better where I could imagine like a, uh, you know, you find like a little piece of paper in the Colorado like research school that they visited with all the monkeys where some of this is sort of explained in like a little like notebook or something that you get to read through or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. For sure. I, yeah, I would have even, I guess he, they were making him really like weak and vulnerable in that moment. So I, there wasn't a lot of the one time he does yell, he gets gut punched with a rifle butt. Yeah. But, um, um, I was going to say, we can just, like, uh, move on to, like, the wrap-up and the finale and the large philosophical question that has been looming over this entire episode, both of the podcast and of the television episode. But just in the Joel Rampage scene, I wanted to point out that the gun nerd in me was very happy. I believe, and I'm going to be really sad if I'm wrong about this, but I believe that that first gun he picks up is an M1 Garand. And I love to see that gun, man. I love to see it in movies and television. It's one of the best firearms that the Western world has ever produced. Most of the shit we make is absolute trash, absolute dog shit. But that gun was so well made and so well manufactured and designed that it was actually the main service weapon for both World Wars One and Two. It is. I was say, isn't it like a hundred year over a hundred years old at this point? It, yeah, it's a very very old gun, and it still to this day is one of the goats. Um, so I, I like to see it. 
in things. That's interesting. I don't know anything about guns, but I did visually recognize the butt of it instantly. It was very um, um, cobbled together. Like it was obviously not like a stock <laughs> M1 Grand. It had other parts and other magazines and things like that thrown onto it. But I, I do believe that's what it was. That's dope. Yeah, that that whole scene, man, like I I felt so helpless, like watching Joel get up off the floor and being escorted out of the hospital. And as that guy just keeps shoving him, just slowly shoving him at random intervals, shoving. And I was like, dude, I I. This, you that's not you can't you that's not good even if he's not gonna get away with it even if you don't know he's like rambo <laughs> you can't just be pushing like a despondent man down the stairs who's like thinking about a kid being murdered like you gotta know that's some something's gonna happen i feel like marlene uh, should have warned them like hey by the way this guy is rambo or he's like rambo and john wick if you put them together so maybe yeah, jo- don't joel wick <laughs> for sure uh, and then, but as watching it, it was like, I could feel the like pressure building and building and with every push. And I was just like on the edge of my fucking seat. And then, uh, the, the, the lighting of the, of the stairs and the, the color palette, that whole hospital like scene, especially the escorting him out. And it gets like dreary and the like. Uh, oh, sorry, the color palette kind of shifts the uh, through the not palette temperature. The temperature kind of shifts from the scene of him speaking to Marlene to him getting escorted, and, and it changes really harshly in the stairwell yeah. to this just sad, dimly lit. Uh, all of that environment, like or uh, atmosphere, was amazing. Like I could feel it all put together like really pulling all my strings and pushing all my buttons yeah it was all very well coordinated in that way because it goes from that like white harsh fluorescent hospital lighting to a more gray sort of like neutral tone and then on top of that the sound cuts out so it's, yeah. it's just it's mostly silent i don't remember if there's like a little bit of music or whatever but it's sort of like this droning effect and then on top of that Pedro Pascal's acting he's just his eyes are dead you know there's just yeah he's in autopilot he's in murder mm-hmm. mode where he's just not even processing anything that happens like the guy's what goes to surrender and it just he doesn't even think about it he doesn't even process he just shoots the guy like it's it's very who's surrendering, who's surrendering? uh just one of the randos <clears throat> oh yeah I was yeah we're Sorry, that 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 uh, you went from different kinds of like despondent, and that I didn't even think about it like that because yeah, him in the stairwell has like a shambling corpse of a man, and but and, and not thinking about anything, like he just random periodically stops, and he doesn't even know where. At one point, they're like, "Go down the stairs, dude! Like, what are you doing?" Yeah, and th- that. Uh, I didn't respect that there is an equivalent despondence that happens once he like snaps and he set like he says, I don't have time for this. Yeah. And then straight caps that first dude in the head. Yeah, he's on autopilot, man. <laughs> I will say uh, people that have played both games um, may break may recognize that they spent an extra couple seconds focusing on the surgeon that Joel shot in the head. Uh, and that 
plays a role in probably season two of this show. I just wanted to say that. Interesting. And I was glad. I was glad to see that they uh, they gave an extra beat to that. And I, you know, I credit where credits due. I respected that surgeon for what he did. You know, like it was ultimately fruitless and didn't matter. But the fact that he was willing to like die for what he believed in, I mean, it it makes him a little bit more redeemable, I guess, in my opinion. But you know, yeah, for sure, I could see him turning into some freak martyr by the second game. Um, you know, yeah, I wonder if like they had a uh, that doctor. Maybe wonder what they told that surgeon. Like, hey, we told this girl that you know. She's cool with dying. <laughs> like she's cool with donating her life to science at this point. You know? I didn't even consider that. None. Like how many people are, is Marlene just fucking lying to? Yeah. Cause isn't Marlene also the lady from the beginning of the firefly meetings where she was like, you know what you're supposed to do? Shut the fuck up and take orders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause that one oh. lady was like, you're moving troops away from here and here and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, I am. Cause I'm the fucking boss of the terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. And it turned out to be for an intelligent reason, but yeah, I didn't, I hadn't even contemplated if she or how much she has lied to people inside that organization to just be okay with this and go along with it. Maybe she thinks that she's like sparing the surgeon's conscience conscience, but yeah, that's a whole Thanks for spoiling all that for us, Patrick. No, I I think that they're, uh, I think they're beyond like being nice and like patient consent and all that shit. They're like, look, the world is the world is in such disarray that like we got this one glimmer of hope in this girl's body. Like we're not going to ask for consent. We're just taking it. And they did it in a, in a quote unquote nice way, even though it's still fucked up to me. Yeah. It's extremely Um, a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah, let's, I mean, so basically this all culminates with Marlene confronting Joel in the parking garage. Um, He ends up getting away by shooting her, but this kind of comes to the precipice of this episode again of both our episode and the episode of this hit HBO show, um, which is the question would, do you save the person you love? If it means potentially damning the entire world or do you sacrifice the only living person that you still care about to this extent in order to maybe, save the rest of the world, which I don't think there's an easy answer for this, but that's why I was saying that I kind of came around to team Marlene at the end. Cause I see her point. And I think that while I understand what Joel did, I don't think that it would be an easy thing to defend on like a metaphysical or maybe like ethical level. Oh boy. Shut up, Patrick. Well, I'm not, I didn't say anything. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, this is it's it's. There's so much that I want to talk about right now. I don't know where to start because like nobody wants Ellie to have agency in this situation, or nobody allows her to. Bare minimum, like even if we pretend that Joel was trying to do something righteous, it really ends up with him behaving very similarly to the people that he is John Wicking. Mm-hmm. Like, and then he also lies to Ellie afterwards, which is equivalent to fucking lying before you put her under. He just lied when he got her out. And yeah. it's, he's not going to be able to live with that very 
this is now like the most scarring thing in his life. Like he wants it to all be okay, but it's built on this, like built on so many bodies and lies. Uh, I'm, I can't wait to play the second game now because I have to see what the fuck happens. And I just want to say I am so surprised that Joel did not die, dude. I was like so sure that this episode was going to end with him fucking bleeding out somewhere. I it I was legitimately shocked when the end of the episode (laughs) happened and he was alive. Like that was wild to me. John, I have been bragging to people about the fact that you thought that was going to happen because it was the most precious, pure thing on the in the whole world. Am I wrong? I feel like they have been hinting at it this whole time. <laughs> I feel like they faked I, me out so well. I, as, but I, I can <clears throat> never be honest about it because I knew what the last episode was going to be. So for me, knowing at least the bear like so now i can talk about it but like i i knew that they had to kill ellie to try and make a cure and then i knew he killed everybody to get her out and what's interesting is that's just enough facts for me to make up a lot of the emotional parts of this because honestly i thought it was going to be a little bit more cut and dry i thought the science the scientists were going to be pretty clearly the bad guys in this situation and that this is something like ellie would have wanted and that it was going to be like an Aesop's fable and it was just going to wrap up like pretty fucking nice. At th- like, I thought the big question was just going to be, was it worth sac- like saving the, the one you love for the rest of the world? Like, that's enough of a question to talk about forever. But they they make it so much more nuanced with like she gets no agency and like all, how that all plays out. I could not. I didn't know how the, the pasta was going to get seasoned, man. And I was I, I was sh- a little I was shocked. Like I said, that is not cut and dry that's not black and white it's not what i was expecting i mean if there's one thing this show is great at is blurring the lines and and seeing different points of view from both sides of situations right yeah yeah and i think that's actually a strength of like um the more like modern era zombie fiction in general so i guess this is a good time to introduce the next season of our podcast which is uh, walkers, 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 where we will be recapping oh, and reviewing no. every episode of The Walking Dead. I'm out of here. I'm <laughs> no, out of here right now. I thought we, it was Romero, Romero, Romero. <laughs> um, I've been lied to. Every much episode like of The Ellie. Walking Dead, we'll be doing this for 500 years. <laughs> we'll never get out of here. Patrick, you and I do a One Piece podcast, so I don't want to fucking hear it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just oh, gonna, no. My new job is just I'm just gluing this microphone to my face. <laughs> Man, um, I, I wanted I wanted to go back. Or do you want to talk about some John? No, you you go ahead. I was I was about to steer us somewhere else, but if you have something to say, I would love to hear it. I wanted to talk about the ending uh, because. Uh, <sighs> <laughs> lost the thread. It's coming back. Okay, so. Please edit all this out. Oh God, I don't even yeah, remember what I was going to say. Stamp in. Um. Oh God, now I just sound stupid. No, you're the good. ending of this show. Yeah, John was talking. Like, yeah. Um. <clears throat> the um. The lie that Marlene tells that uh you know starts this kind of kicks off this whole murder rampage that Joel does. 
like whether I don't know if you were kind of you kind of hitting at this, but like kind of where that stands on a hierarchy or like on a what where that lands on like being equal or worse or better than the lie that Joel tells her at the end. And to me, like the biggest problem with the ending, the ending that happens, like I don't have a problem with the ending, but like the biggest problem I have is like what culminated in the ending was that Marlene and them didn't, the fireflies didn't give agency to, to Ellie. Right. And if that had happened, it would have changed how I feel about Joel's decision. Like if Joel, when Joel kills everyone and rescues Ellie kind of selfishly, right? I mean, I think that's kind of clear at this point. It's a little bit selfish, but I'm on team Joel at this point. Like I'm on team Joel for, for rescuing Ellie and taking her because he doesn't even know that they didn't ask her, but they didn't ask him and they didn't tell him that she had a chance of dying. They just ambushed them and steal her from him. And then he wakes up in this situation, right? He didn't really have a choice, even though they were going there anyway. But uh, that's that's why I'm on Team Joel. Now, if Marlene had asked Ellie and Joel and sat them down and discussed all this, then I think maybe Joel would have got along with Ellie. I think Ellie would have given her life up at that point. I think. Not 100% sure. But I feel like that's kind of her demeanor and what she would probably lean towards. So that's why I'm on Team Joel at the end of this show. And also, at the end of the game, I think the conversation ends in the truck. They don't even show Wyoming and all that shit. I don't think. I think I just remember the conversation ending in the truck and it ends on a lie. And then it's just roll the credits. And I was like, oh my God, like that is like just like crushing. I can't, I, I mean, I didn't have to wait 10 years to play part two, but I know the people that did. And that is just like, man, can you imagine having to wait 10 years to pick that store, pick that thread back up? I literally no. cannot imagine that. That sounds like the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's like it's, it's like just dr- throws you off this cliff and like see ya. <laughs> that is wild. Be yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, I I'm I, okay. I'm lightly mad at you, Patrick, that you spoiled the game for me. So he doesn't die in the end of the game either. No, that's not what Patrick just said. Pat- I said well, that part pa- one ends with the truck ride conversation with him lying dead. But at the end of the first game, Joel is still alive yeah. also. Part. What the yeah. fuck, dude? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. This was just a John thing. <laughs> Sorry, John. I, I should preface that. I stand by the fact that they were laying those they were planting those seeds. I god think it's it. supposed to it was nobody, supposed to nobody be Nobody write an email about anything that happens in part two to John. Don't nobody send no emails about that. <laughs> yeah, we have like fifty fans. We're all friends. This is a family or whatever. You nobody would ever dare do that. We know we trust you, but don't do it. Uh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm way more worried about us spoiling things for the listeners than <laughs> them spoiling it for me. But yeah, I I took it as like them trying to show the chinks in his armor, and it was gradually like humanizing him, but also showing his like that he is weak. Um, which is even like a story point later where he's like, I'm a deaf and like my foot hurts all the time, and I'm not the person for this job. Yeah. But, but I could see how that would be interpreted as like the next step after that is that you die. Like, yeah, so it's like you're, you're one step away. You didn't take a grand leap and watching you think that this whole time has been one of my favorite parts of the show. Damn. Yeah. That was truly shocking to me. I, I very much thought that that was going to be what happened. Um, all right. Do you guys have anything else to touch on? I, I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but I, I don't know if uh, it's going to be super productive. So unless there's anything like 
very, very poignant that you'd like to point out. Maybe we can move on to recap and review. Um, man, I might have to do an editing job here like Patrick did a second ago. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted Hold to on. say I loved El, uh, Marlene's. I think Marlene said this, but she says to Joel, everything bad and everything good can start with love. I was like, oh, that's that's a deep cut, man. That's uh, bringing it back to Star Wars. Isn't that like one of the things that Yoda says? Is that like love leads to fear, fear leads to hate, hate leads to the dark side or some shit like that? Hate leads to... Yes. It, it, it's, it basically the gist of it is that when you love somebody... Fear, it's fear leads to... Fear, I don't think they say love. I think it's like, yeah, fear leads to the dark side, basically. But I, I think something you can infer is that when you love somebody, that leads to fear of losing them, you know? Yeah. Which yeah. fear can make you do some fucked up things. Mm-hmm. So, oh, okay. So what I was going to say is I was building off a of kind of the... So, yes, Marlene doesn't give her agency. Because when Patrick says he's team Joel, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm team anybody, which 100%. is like really weird. Um, because you said you're team Joel because that she didn't give Ellie any agency in that situation. But what bothers mm-hmm. me is the reciprocating feeling that Joel knows that that's what Ellie would want. Um, it's wrong to not ask her. But also, I think he knows that that's what she would do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that makes him that 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 is my biggest problem in the scenario. It's not like he not just that he lied about any of it. Like if he lied about it and was like, I'm 99 percent sure that she wouldn't have wanted that. I'd be like, cool, dog. Like you did it. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he's lying to cover up. Also knowing it is the thing that she would have wanted, which makes that lie so much like thicker and more burdensome and heavier. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree with that. That's, that's a huge thing for me as well. There's a reason that he lied to her, right? Because he knows Mm -hmm. she's going to be pissed (laughs) if he told the truth. So, yeah. Um, I think, and then my last question, I guess is, um, what would you have done? Um, like Monday morning quarterback hindsight is 2020 kind of thing. I think I would have just pleaded with Marlene. Like, can I please just talk to her before you do this? I just need to, I just want to know that this is what she wants. And if this is what she wants, then I will be on my way. I think that is the move that I would have gone with. And if they said no to that, then I would have gone full murder rampage. (laughs) <laughs> John, he would have been John John Wick. Yeah, <laughs> John John Wick. Yeah, no, that's smart, John. I think I I agree with you. And what sucks is that Claire, like, she doesn't offer the opportunity for any of that conversation or clarity. So that by the time he's taking control of the situation and makes it back to her, when she confronts him with, "What do you think Ellie would want?" He knows in that moment that's what Ellie would want, but doesn't I don't think have the physical capacity to stop what he's doing anymore. Yeah. Like, and I think he does know that, but I think also he probably could have benefited from hearing it from her anyway, you know, hundred percent. You're right. Yeah. But by the time Marlene is ready to listen this now in the final moment, she becomes civil because she lost control mm-hmm. that he is, it is too late for, for, for being civil for him. Yeah. But you're right. If, if she would have thought about that, there, there was, Obviously, it makes a bad story, but it's interesting because of how human all of these situations are of like everybody wanting to take control 
of wanting to feel safe, of wanting to be secure. Like all of these things cause them to act rash. And when they act rash, they have equal yet opposite reactions from other people who then could also act rash. And a lot of crazy things happen that it's, it's, it's just, it, I, I now see in hindsight just how interesting that is too. as we dissect like, Oh, well, if she would have just sat him down at a table, like this all probably would have went G money, but like, that's not, people aren't really like that. Like it, it takes a, a strong, intelligent, patient person to present things to other people like that. And so that that's why it is special and kind. And we want to learn to be like that is because it's, it isn't easy. And so we'll, yeah, these people get backed into corners and just start treating people shitty and then they get shitty right back. And it's poor Ellie out of mm. all of this. Yeah. I mean, if only they had had like a uh, captain Jean-Luc Picard, you know, to sit down and mediate things between them, which this is actually a good chance to announce that the next podcast we'll be doing is called uh, engage, 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 where we will be recap and reviewing every single episode of Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah, when John says we, he means the AI versions of both me and Jesse <laughs> and along with John. I thought Engage, Engage, Engage was going to be our new podcast about 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Or Love is Blind. Yeah. I, or the but I, I am in favor of doing a second season of Fungus, Fungus, Fungus. Where we oh no, it'll be fungus fungus OBGYN podcast. <laughs> no, fungus fungus engage where we get a Jean-Luc Picard AI voice to help give oh. advice on what he would have done in, in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, all right. Fourth member. Can we do recap and review? Yup. All right, Patrick, you're first. What would you give this episode from zero to seven? Uh, giraffe. Doctor shot in the head. Oh, Doctor shot in the head. <laughs> oh man, me and John were the most opposite <laughs> we could have possibly picked. I I thought this episode went so fast, maybe because I knew it was going to happen, and I'm just waiting to get there. I usually they think that that would go the opposite, like it just dragged, but like I thought it just blew through the whole episode. So. I'm going to give this a 7 out of 7 kingdoms because I think they nailed it. It's the same feeling as the game. It's still shocking to me. And they added some shit that was awesome, like the Ashley Johnson cameo in the beginning. Backstory with Marlene and the mom and all that. Um, Yeah, I'm going to give them the 7 out of 7 kingdoms. All right. Um, Jesse, what about you? Oh, boy. Um, I'll make it snappy as to not belabor a point that I will spend an entire separate podcast really articulating on. But I agree with Patrick. I think it went by a little fast knowing what I thought was going to happen. But also, interestingly enough, as I brought up before, didn't really understand the full context of all the things that were going to happen. So with the mother scene at the beginning, which wasn't even in the game uh, and all the things that were new to me, it was still really thrilling to watch this episode. Uh, I cried multiple times at different parts. The giraffes were just giraffing so fucking hard. It sucks that they were um, CGI though. <laughs> yeah, it I really wish they had the budget. You know, I think it's HBO <laughs> to get real giraffes. They yeah, they're like, oh, I just can't get him to do the tongue thing on cue. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So I guess I would. Man, I guess I'm. I'm. I want to give it six out of seven. Quarter perk a kingdom crayon giraffe shooting a doctor in the head. 
All right. That's a pretty decent score. Um, so as part of my review, I just want to touch on a couple of things that didn't really fit into the larger scope of our conversation. I apologize. I know this episode's going long, but I will try to make them fast. The first is that I mentioned that I liked the giraffe scene a lot, and I just wanted to bring up also that sort of a recurring theme throughout all of this is that I have been commenting on the set pieces and I think that that specific set piece with the kind of verdant garden with all the giraffes and all the giraffe babies and everything walking through it was visually very stunning. And it was a very good addition to this episode that was very kind of gray and bleak looking. And I thought it, it kind of meshed really well, or I guess not meshed more so it just contrasted in a nice way. Yeah, I didn't think about it, but that's a really beautiful symbol of a lot of things like shout from shallow to deep, whether you're like, mm-hmm. it's a symbol of hope or it's just visually bright and distinct and lively. It's something I think we needed and that Ellie needed before confronting something much more serious to come. And I, I super didn't pick up on that. Yeah. It was just like, you know, something beautiful and magnificent and all this ugliness and darkness, you know, yeah. and thematically, I think that's like what the show is about is like finding the beauty in this horrible world that we live in or that they live in. But you know, we live in a horrible world in a different way. Uh, yeah, when you said that, I was just like, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I also wanted to point out the scene where Joel says that he thinks Sarah would have liked Ellie. And he said, I think she would have liked you because you're funny. I liked that because it showed that Joel is not just kind of copy and pasting his former daughter onto his new daughter, that he actually sees the distinctions between them. And he sees the ways that they're similar and the way that they're different and, the way that they mm-hmm. kind of complement each other and that basically he sees them as different people and he loves Ellie for who she is. He doesn't just see her as replacement Sarah. And so I thought that was a necessary thing to add in for sure. And I liked it. Um, also people have been talking about team Joel versus team Marlene. I think ultimately I do come down on team Marlene um, or no, sorry, team, team, team Joel. Uh, my, my mistake. I, <laughs> I, 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 is, it a mis- is it a mistake? Sorry, I was thinking about Marlene because I was going to say I'm on Team Joel, but not because I think Marlene was morally wrong. I think that her mistakes were tactical and strategic more than like ethical, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that does Same. still matter. So that's why I come down on the side of Team Joel. And also, like in real life, it's I I don't know, man, like. I love you guys. Um, I'm very close with Jesse. I've been really, really good friends with him for a really long time. I would have a hard time saying I'm going to give Jesse up to save the world, like to be perfectly honest. And even like you, Patrick, like I, you know, I've never seen you, met you in real life, but I hang out with you every week over the internet and I have come to love you very much as a friend. And like you also, I would have a very difficult time coming to that that choice of like giving you up, sacrificing you to save the world. And so I think that this was a very like elegant and interesting and effective way of tackling that question. And um, for that, I think, I think I have to give this episode seven out of seven. Um, I'm sort of breaking my own rules though, because I didn't find it that satisfying as the end of a season. Um, I didn't feel like there was like that much resolution that actually took place as far as like the last episode of a season, but just as an 
episode by itself that was the end of a season, I don't know, man. Like, it did pretty much everything that I wanted it to, so I don't really have any actual complaints other than, yeah, like, I wish I had a little bit more um, resolution. So, yeah, 7 out of 7. I kind of wish they'd made this 10 episodes. Why did they stop at 9? Like, come on. That is a very weird choice that they made. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. I was very curious about that as well. I wanted one more episode of Joel and Ellie time where they're like 100% bonded father daughter <laughs> team, you know? Do a, yeah. do a marriage just episode. Give me that? Bare minimum, I was talking yeah. to somebody uh, from our work that had played the game, and he last week was like, honestly, man, there's like a lot of stuff between now and the very end of the game. Like, I, they should at least make that last episode like an hour and a half long or something. And when he said that, I got excited and I was like, man, Stranger Things does two hour long episodes, dude. Like, I really (laughs) thought there was a chance that we were going to get episode nine and be like a buck 40 or something. Yeah. Yeah. But then they were like, man, 50. Said we just did an hour and a half long podcast. Yeah, we officially <laughs> talked about, about a fifty minute, <laughs> a fifty minute episode. <laughs> That's art, baby. I mean, there was a lot to unpack, so I I don't feel that yeah. bad about it. But yeah, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for listening to season two of this podcast. That's awesome yeah. that you did that. And thank you. We love you. Um, there is a, another podcast that I do with Patrick called devil fruit punch it's a podcast where we read one piece and then we talk about it on our last episode pedro pascal actually made an appearance so <laughs> you should probably yeah, check it was that hard out. to get him to do that yeah i, I you guys uh, pulled that one i will be in debt for the rest of my life because i paid him we're, so we're much starting money. a patreon <laughs> we're starting a patreon to bring him in once a, once a month yeah so listen to that um you can also shoot us an email at dragons 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 pod at gmail.com I don't know why that's the email. Seems kind of random. Uh, you can also this find us a show or something. <laughs> you can don't also worry, it doesn't fuck our SEO up at all. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at DDD pod, or you can follow Jesse at Jesse underscore wind. Uh, our music is by rabbit road. That's all lowercase with spaces between the letters. And until next time, when you're lost in the darkness, look for the light brother. Look for the fungus. Oh, man. Fungus, fungus. Giraffes? Look for the CG giraffes. And now the rain is bleeding.